0: All right. Good morning, Doxa so guys. Grab your Bibles. Open up to Acts chapter 14, guys. We're going to continue our study today of the the Great Book of Acts. But as you're getting there, let me let me say this: when Ronnie articulated his like sentiments on the men's retreat, you know, of like feeling really confident, but then feeling like a little insecure, I was sitting back there. I was like, I totally felt that too. So here's the scenario, okay? we start playing this tactical laser tag game. I like to think of myself as like a fairly good leader, like a strong leader, I, just, I don't know if that's true, but I see myself as such. And so I'm the captain of this team of like, I don't know, 25 guys, and we get there, we're behind this wall, and I'm like, guys, come here, come here, here's what we're gonna do. And all of a sudden, this, this guy that's part of our church, I'm not gonna name any names, kind of a soft-spoken, quiet guy, he just looks at me and he's like, stop you teach the Bible, this is my domain. And then he just like, and I'm just like, what is going on? And I was just like, just quietly was just like, all right. It was awesome, all right? Um, But guys, Acts 14, this is where we're at today, okay? Um, I mentioned last week that uh, Acts 13, which we studied last week, was kind of like this this watershed moment in the narrative of the, the early church, that starting in Acts 13, the author of, of Acts, Luke, he kind of shifts his focus, right, from looking at Peter and how God used him in the church in Jerusalem, and now he kind of shifts his focus to Paul in, in Barnabas and Barnabas and their ministry, which, which shows the advancement of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire and really to the ends of the earth, just as Jesus said it would happen in Acts chapter 1, verse eight. Acts chapter 1, verse eight is kind of like the thesis statement of the book of Acts. And today, guys, as we get into chapter 14, We're gonna watch the ministry of of Paul and Barnabas. And as we do this, we're we're gonna learn a lot about the type of people that God empowered them to be in order for the church to move forward in power, seeing more and more people meet Jesus. All right, and this is ultimately the goal in the heart of God, right? Is people meeting Jesus. This is what we're all about as well. And so here's what would happen this week: as I was studying this passage, guys. I was just, I had this like really cool kind of like even like profound type moment where it just hit me. Like, have you ever been there? Like you're reading the Bible and all of a sudden, or you hear a sermon and then there's just something that just lands on you and it's just heavy. And it hit me this week, guys, that that what we're going to see through Paul and Barnabas has really been the hope and the prayer, even before Doxa Church even started and before we even launched, of who Doxa would become. All right, that we're going to see in this chapter of Paul and Barnabas, as the church is marching forward, because what we're going to see is who we hope to become by the grace of God. That, that big picture, when you zoom out and look at the book of Acts, Acts is really kind of telling the story of, of church planning and how the earliest churches got started. And, and as we've been considering Acts and studying this for the last couple of months, like, I couldn't help but to think about our journey in planning a church here in Madison. Right, this is kind of like our, it made me think of like our story of, of Doxa and what will be our story as we continue to, to march forward and, and seek to, by the grace of God, build a, a healthy, vibrant church here in the city, but then even go and start more churches around our state and our nation and even the world. That we watched this, this highlight video from the Salt Company Conference, and Ronnie mentioned that we're part of like a larger family of churches called the Salt Network. Guys, we, this is like one of the things that we get really amped about. We, we love Madison, and we're a church for the good of our city, but we also have, like, a national global vision to, to plant churches. In our network of churches, guys, we, we have this audacious goal in the next 21 years to see 450 churches started around the world. Yeah. Thank you. I was waiting, okay? Guys, this is, I mean, this is, like, a big. And you, and you might think of, like, well, why do that? You're like, why? Guys, movement is the rhythm of the Christian life. Jesus tells us to make disciples who make disciples. This is like what we do, it, the gospel moves. And if you think about like the church, the church is the family of God, the people of God. The same is true that the gospel moves forward by planting vibrant churches in a local context that love that place so, so well. And this is what we're going after. But here's the thing, guys. In order for us to have like a, a thriving church for the glory of God and the good of Madison... And to see other churches planted and sent out and started from us. Because there's six things from our text today in Acts 14 that we're aspiring to, okay? So let's get into this. If you remember last week, Paul and Barnabas, they're sent out from the church in Antioch. They go to this island. They're preaching the gospel. Persecution comes, right? They kind of get driven out. And this brings us to Acts chapter 14, verse 1, which says this. Now at Iconium, okay, so they've traveled to a new place. They entered together. I want you to circle that word together in your Bible. entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now guys, that word together is a big one for us. See the first thing that we're aspiring to in order to be a church for the glory of God and the good of our city is this, is we want to be a family using its gifts. Because we're, we're not just individuals walking with Jesus on our own, but we are the family of God created to walk with Jesus and do ministry with and for Jesus together. All right, this is the church. The church isn't just an event. The church isn't just a place. It's not just a building. The church is a family together for the glory of God and the good of our entire world. And when I say the family using its gifts, here's what I mean. In Romans chapter 12, you can write this down, but it's gonna come up here on the screen. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says it like this, starting in verse 4, he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. All right, so we're the church of, of Doxa, we have we have many members, but we're one body, we're, we're one church family. And so you get the imagery of like a body, that we have one body with many different parts that have different functions to make it operate the way that it should. Guys, this is a this is church. But then verse 5, so we... Because here's the big idea. You can just keep that up there because we're going to reference this, okay? When you read through the New Testament, you kind of get like these several different places where like the Apostle Paul kind of gives these lists of like spiritual gifts. None of them are like complete, but they're just snapshots of these different gifting. But a, a spiritual gift is, is not like a human, a natural human ability or a, spe- a talent that we just have on our own, but it's a bestowment by the grace of God on the Christian that provides a channel through which the Holy Spirit can flow for the sake of ministry happening. We talk about ministry, it's Jesus and people, like right? people meeting Jesus because Jesus loves people. This is what it's all about. And it's the family of God, guys, the church, who Jesus saved us to be. When we use those gifts that we all have together, guys, it allows the gospel to go faster and further to the people whom God loves, which is the mission of Jesus that we're seeing and we're studying throughout the entire book of Acts. This is the mission that, that Jesus saved us for, that we're empowered to continue what Jesus started. And when we look at Paul and Barnabas here, guys, as they set out to make the good news of the gospel of Jesus known to the people of the world that God loves, we see that they're using the gifts that the Holy Spirit had given them. All right, and throughout this chapter, we see, these, we see four gifts that Paul mentions here in Romans chapter 12, right, that, that are in operation between, with Paul and Barnabas, okay? First, we, we see this idea of, of prophecy, right? And, and you don't think like Aladdin or floating on a carpet with a headdress and crystal ball, okay? Prophecy is, is simply the ability to proclaim the word of God with clarity, conviction, and power. And we see this. We see this in verse 1, as they spoke in such a way that many people believed. In verse 21, if you look ahead, as they preached the gospel and many disciples were made, verse 25, they spoke the word of God because they were together the family of God, they were using their gifts so that people could meet Jesus. All right, look at this real quickly. It's the second gift, teaching. Right, in in verse 22, we see that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples. And this strengthening that they were doing to the Christians in this early church, it was by teaching them the word of God. Exhortation is another gift that that Paul mentions that these men were were using. And exhortation is, is really just encouragement. So again, in verse 22, it says that Paul and Barnabas were encouraging these persecuted Christians to keep going, to continue on in the faith. And then finally, the gift of, of leadership. Verse 23, they, they appointed elders to lead these, this new church that they would establish. All right, that, that Paul and Barnabas, they didn't just go and like establish and start a church and then just kind of leave all of these young Christians to fend for themselves, but their leadership gifts enabled them to bring structure to this new community, this new family called the church. And they appointed leaders to help lead the way and to care for all these people. Now, guys, here's what I want to, all of us to know about this. If we want to be a church for the glory of God and the good of Madison, this is a family affair. All right, this is not a super pastor's job. I don't even know if there are any super pastors if you're looking for one this is not the right church for you okay this is a this is a family affair you get the difference it's about the family of God using its gifts guys we have all if you are a christian you just need to know that upon saying yes to Jesus God did not just give you forgiveness and salvation and eternal life with him but he also gave you the Holy Spirit of God, the third member of the Trinity that has sealed you to the day of redemption, but he's also gifted you for ministry, that you are gifted. No matter what you believe about yourself, no matter how hard you've been held down and spoken poorly to, you just need to know that God has gifted you. And you're not just gifted for your own good and your own self-edification, but you're gifted for the good of the church, the family of God, and the city in which you live in, which for us happens to be here in Madison. And it's so important to know that God uses his people in great ways to bring the gospel and good to our cities when his people determine to use their unique gifting for the sake of people meeting Jesus. This is so important. Guys, listen to this. Peter says this in 1 Peter 4. He's writing about like the urgent need for the individual members of the family of God to use their unique gifting. And he says this, as each one has received a special gift that you're gifted, You're in Christ, you are gifted. As you receive this gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Because we aspire to be this type of church family. Because, guys, hear this. Without this focus, our church is is not going to be the church that Jesus died and rose to establish. Our church is not going to be a missional church for the glory of God and the good of our city. Our church is going to become kind of like a holy country club that no one really wants to be part of. We are the church, the family of God. We are a family on mission for the sake of the world. And when the family of God realizes how gifted they are and they use those gifts, guys, this is when things happen. This is when stories change. This is when families change. This is when cities change. This is when countries change. This is when the world changes. When the family of God uses the gifts that he hasn't given them for good. And here's the thing I love, guys. We're, we're seeing hap- this happen in Doxa, right? This isn't like completely aspirational. like We're, we're seeing this. Because if we consider this, this list in Romans 12 with like serving and teaching and generosity, all this stuff. Because we're, we're seeing the, the people of God in Doxa church doing this. Like teaching. We have people like teaching Bible studies. You're making disciples. You're, you're teaching people to love and obey Jesus. Service, right? Paul says this. I, I love, guys, that we see that our church is, is, we're striving to serve one another, to care for one another, both in, people inside the church and outside the church. I hear stories after stories of like how our connection groups find like a neighbor on their street that's suffering, a person that they met in a store that just is down and out and they need help. And our connection groups rally, And just to love these people, give money to these people, help them find jobs, like whatever we can do, watch their kids for single moms. Like, I see this happening, we're serving. Generosity, because so many of you have have gotten off the proverbial bench and you're becoming contributors to the, the mission of God. And you're giving of your time and your talents and your treasure to push forward the gospel, to push forward the mission of God. And it's amazing that we're learning to take steps to be a generous church. We're, we're not there yet, but we're, we're taking steps and we're seeing it. Leadership, guys, we have some amazing leaders in the life of our church. Some of the most loving people that I've ever met. And you leaders, you know who you are. I'm so thankful for you. I pray for you all the time because you're, you're leading people so well to love Jesus and love people. And then one of the things I love, you know, Paul says, acts of mercy. I, I love that our church, we're, we're growing to have a heart for our city. And caring and helping the downtrodden, the hurting, the helpless and the forgotten people of Madison. That we have this local missions team. That, that we're having these people that are, that are gifted in this way of acts of mercy. That they're keeping our heart beating. So we don't just turn into this, this holy country club where it's all about us. But we're going out into the city for the sake of helping people and giving the gospel. And showing acts of mercy which is, says the right thing about Jesus it's a beautiful thing that God is doing through you guys. And I'm just like super proud to be locked arms with you helping to lead this way. And so I think like God, as I've been studying this and like what I'm saying is like, let's go, right? Let's keep going. Let's keep pushing each other. Let's lock arms and keep going. Let's not lose sight of this vision, especially when we walk into this beautiful building that God has gifted us. Let's not start to think that that building is the goal. This is the goal. That we would be a family using its gift for the glory of God and the good of our city. Second thing, because I don't know, I'm getting a little bit fired up. I'm sorry, I had a lot of caffeine and I'm out of breath. Jeez, The second thing that we see through Paul and Barnabas here, which we're aspiring to be as a church, guys, is this, a family, but we want to be a family that has gospel-driven boldness. Gospel-driven boldness. Look back at verse 1. Now in Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up against the Gentiles and poisoned the minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Verse five, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities in the Conia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Okay, so having been driven out of Pisidian Antioch in in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas, they, they go to Iconium, which is about 80 miles southeast. And when they arrive, just like they do in every place, they open their mouths and they start telling the truths of Jesus. They're preaching the gospel. The most important thing for anybody to know, the most important thing for me to be reminded of, you to be reminded of, it's the gospel of Jesus. And they're telling this like melting pot of people, this, this group of a very diverse group of people. All types of people and they're telling them that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, that Jesus made a way for them. And people are hearing this news in power and conviction and so many people are starting to believe. But in the midst of this, persecution once again rises to the surface and comes against them and people were seeking, if you look back, to mistreat and to kill Paul and Barnabas. Guys, here's one of the things I love about these guys. In the midst of this like mounting opposition towards them, in the gospel. This didn't like intimidate them, but they kept speaking boldly. Not, they, not only did they just keep speaking boldly, but they stayed in that place in the midst of all this opposition. Now here's the question. Guys, are these guys just like completely insane? Right, are, have you guys watched that, that documentary Free Solo? Like are they like that guy? Are they like, a, like adrenaline junkies that just like push the limits of death because it gives them like a thrill? Like is that what these guys are about? like why why and how are they so bold that's the questions for us how and why here's what i believe to be true guys how were they so bold i think the answer is fairly simple and straightforward as you look at the bible they were filled with the holy spirit if you remember back to acts chapter 4 that we looked at several months ago the disciples they're they're under intense persecution people were threatening their lives just like here in chapter 14 what did they do? Do you remember? They prayed. Acts chapter 4 says that they came together and with one voice they cried out to God. And as they cried out to God in prayer, guys, they didn't, this is the astounding thing, they didn't just pray to God, like, stop this persecution, like, we're we're tired, this is hurting us, like, they didn't say stop the persecution, but what they did is they cried out with one voice, and they asked God to empower them to continue to be bold for the sake of the gospel going to people that he loves. And as a result, it's going to come up here on the screen, Acts 4.31, here's what happened. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken, that God showed up. Guys, do you know that God shows up when you pray? He shows up. He shows up here. The the place is shaken to, like, let them know, like, this is a miraculous thing. God is intervening. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is true of Paul. this is true of me. This is true of every single person who has come to Jesus in faith, that you don't just get forgiveness and salvation, but you get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of, of power that the same spirit, Paul says in Romans 8:11, "The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you upon faith in Jesus." But what happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit? And the truth is, guys, a lot of things happen when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. But what we see in Acts 4 and here in chapter 14 is that they spoke the word of God with boldness. And so maybe you, like, read the Bible. Sometimes this happens to me, and and you you see these radical examples, right? And you're wondering, like, what's the difference? Like, we don't seem to be as bold as them. I think it's likely that we aren't filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, Here's what I mean, guys. Acts chapter 4, talk, or Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about not quenching the spirit with sin. That we don't lose the spirit when we sin, but it's almost like we, we quench, we stifle the movement of God in our lives. But when we're walking in the fullness of the spirit, guys, significant things happen. And I really believe that every Christian should pray daily for the fresh filling of the Holy Spirit as we rid sin from our lives. And guys, when the Holy Spirit falls on a person in fullness, joy abounds hope abounds assurance abounds courage abounds and we walk through the everyday stuff of life and we open our mouths and we speak the truth and the love of God and this is what the world needs most the gospel the gospel is only going to go out though if God's people are bold because the world in many ways is against the truth of God it's got to be boldness so the Holy Spirit empowers us to continue what Jesus started by giving us to, the courage to live like Jesus today in Madison in our everyday stuff of life. And so let's like even just make it really practical for all of us, okay? Maybe you're a Christian and you struggle with boldness. Like you get really fearful to speak of Jesus people come to you at work and they maybe see you're listen, or hear you're listening to a christian song or they see a bible verse on your computer or you have a bible and they ask you about that and it just makes you like clam up and get really weird and you don't want it to get we- you're not bold and like you're like I struggle with like being fearful of opening my mouth for jesus you don't need more equipping you don't need better tactics and better strategies those are all good things you know what you need to do pray Pray like the early church and ask God for the fullness of the Spirit, and that will result in boldness. Pray. So that's the how, but why? Why were they so bold to keep telling people about Jesus in the face of death, guys? And here's what I think. I don't think Paul can stop thinking about how he experienced Jesus in Acts chapter 9. You remember that story when Paul has this radical conversion. He meets Jesus in this crazy way and Jesus saves his life. I think that Paul can't shake that. He remembers like the sweetness of the gospel in his ears. Do you guys remember the sweetness of the gospel the first time that you heard it and it saved your life? Do you remember that? I don't think Paul can stop hearing that. And so as he's completely overcome by the grace of God that saved his life, as he looks out and he sees people He sees people as God sees people, and he says, those are people that Jesus died for. I have to tell them about this Jesus that saved my life. It was out of the love of God that Paul went and was bold with the gospel. Guys, and it's not just boldness, right? We're not talking about like angry preachers right, with, like, fire shirts and, like, throwing Bibles at people on the corner of State Street. Like, we're not talking about this. It was the love of Christ that compelled him to do everything. And so they went out of the love of God in their heart, and they spoke to people. They built relationships with people. They loved people. They were lovingly bold. Number three, we aspire to have radical humility. All right, and for the sake of time, let me just sum up verses 8 through 18, okay? Here's what's happening. Paul and Barnabas, they're, they're being sought to be killed in Iconium, and so they realize that the ministry doors are kind of closing here, and they flee to a city named Lystra, okay? As they're in Lystra, they're, they're preaching the gospel once again. Paul comes upon a man who was crippled from birth. He's never walked before, right? He's, he's suffering and in a really bad place. This crippled man is, is laying there. He's hearing Paul speak of Jesus. He's listening. He comes to faith in Jesus, And Paul locks eyes with this guy. In the midst of the crowd, Paul sees him. We get this this glimpse of back in earlier on in in Acts when Peter locks eyes with the guy. We get this look back in the Gospels when Jesus locks eyes with the hurting and the afflicted. And Paul looks at him with compassion and love, which is likely that no one has ever looked at this man like that before. And God does a miracle through Paul. This man gets healed. He stands up and he starts walking around. All right, a miracle Now, let me say this, guys, the miracles that God does in Acts and really throughout the Bible, hear this, they're never the point. Jesus is always the point. It's always about Jesus. And the miracles that God does throughout history serve to validate the words of Jesus and the preaching of God's words. So this miracle that God does through Paul here was meant to show people, the people of Lystra, that all that Paul was saying all that Paul was proclaiming about Jesus was emphatically true. That's why God shows up and he heals this man because he's basically saying, listen to him, I'm going to do a miracle so you can see it. But here's what happened. All right, the people of Lystra, they missed the message and they got focused on the miracle and the messenger. And as they did this, they thought Paul and Barnabas were basically Greek gods because the Lystra people were very familiar with mythology and folklore at the time, and they remembered a story of Zeus and Hermes. And so they just, it reminded them of Paul and Barnabas. And so the Lystra people in a different language start yelling out, the gods are here. Like the gods are here. These guys are, are gods. Paul and Barnabas, they don't really understand what's going on, but all of a sudden they start bringing out animals to sacrifice to them. They quickly realize oh my gosh, like these guys are like starting to worship us and they wanna sacrifice animals to us. And so Paul and Barnabas, they they rip their garment, which is just like a sign of like horror and blasphemy in these days. And look what he says in verse 15. And this is a big one, guys. Star this, highlight it, write it on your hand, whatever you gotta do, this is big. Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you and we bring good news. What does Paul say? He says, guys, I'm nothing. I'm just a guy like you. doxa church, I'm nothing. I'm just a guy like you. We're in this together. And here's what I want you to see, guys. There was this great opportunity for pride here with Paul and Barnabas. People were looking to them as, as great. They were elevating them above all others. The focus, the spotlight was, was on them. And, and people were just worshiping them. And this got me thinking, guys, we love this, don't we? Maybe I'm the only one. No amens to that one, right? But we, I, I love, I mean, you need to pray for me that pride doesn't get in my way. Like, we love to be in the, the spotlight. We, we love to be elevated. We love for people to look at us and say how great we are. We love to have it be all about us. But Christian, not for you. It's not about you. In your kingdom, it's about Jesus and his. And Paul and Barnabas, they, they give us this beautiful example to follow that it's not about our glory, but it's about the glory of God. It's this radical humility. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter writes about this, this centrality of humility. Listen, it's gonna be up here on the screen. He says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, doxa, clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Why? For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Jesus' little brother, James, he, he echoes these exact same words. And so that we have to ask the question, guys, like, where does humility come from? Right? You ever asked that before? If you haven't, you're prideful and you need to ask that question, right? Where does humility come from? It's this, guys. It's being stunned by the grace of God. That when you realize, guys, that you don't bring anything to the table, you have immense value because God has made you in his image, but when you realize that every good part of you that has value and goodness is only by the redemption of the man, Jesus Christ, that changes you. Until you are gripped by that and stunned by that, you will be prideful. Until you realize and you remember that on your own, because of your sin and your rebellion, the only thing that you deserve, that I deserve, was hell. But Jesus went to hell for you. Until you are gripped by that truth, pride is going to be your your posture. This is why we need the gospel. The gospel keeps us humble because it reminds us of who we are. We're beloved Children of God that he delights in but he has done everything for us it's not because we're great guys we're not great people I'm not a great person you guys that are new and feeling this out welcome to doxa right we're not great there's one person that's great his name is Jesus right that's why we sing to him that's why we pray to him everyone else we have problems we have issues we're not great no matter how godly you think you are no matter how successful you become no matter how high you've you've climbed the corporate ladder, no matter how good you like to put yourself out on social media, no matter how much you've learned, there's no room for pride in the life of a Christian. God opposes that. There's a man named Hudson Taylor. He once said this, that God uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. Because God uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. Like prideful people Don't lean on God because we think we can do it on our own. But when we're gripped by the truth that John 15, like apart from him, we can do nothing, humility comes. It gets rid of pride because, guys, pride will hinder the movement of God in our lives and through our lives. And, guys, we cannot afford to do this. We can't afford to to hinder the movement of God and be prideful because there's people in our world, in our city, in your neighborhood, in your classroom, in your dorm room, in your apartment building that need Jesus. And the only way they're going to get Jesus is Jesus' people going to them. And so if we're prideful people, it's going to hinder the movement of God in us and through us and affect everything. And this moment in Paul's ministry, guys, reveals the humility that God's people should have. That if Paul would have yielded to this temptation for pride, it would have rendered him like ineffective his usefulness would have would have tanked because those who seek glory for themselves they're on the path to spiritual weakness and impotence humility catalyzes gospel movement doc so we need to continue to fight for this one of our core values is weakness we're broken we need to be reminded of this that we have a god that loves us that we have value but he is the great one we are not great And when we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, he will lift us up and use us for his great purposes. Number four, verse 19. Relentless persistence is what we're aspiring to. Relentless persistence. Verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, He rose up and entered the city. And On the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Guys, I love those movies. Like some of my favorite movies are like Rambo, Gladiator, pretty much any movie with like Liam Nielsen in it, right? I can't watch them late at night because if I watch them late at night, I'm not gonna be able to sleep, right? I have to go outside and like punch a tree or something like that. In this moment with Paul, guys, he he makes like Rambo and Liam Nielsen look like a little child, (laughs) right? That he's stoned. He's literally cast rocks on. He's bloodied, he's broken, he's bruised, so much so that he passes out. People just assume he's dead, and they drag him out of the city because they don't want him to start stinking and decaying in the middle of the city. And this is one of the most powerful moments in the entire book of Acts. Paul, bloodied, bruised, broken. He's out there. People think he's dead. The people that he likely just led to Jesus are surrounding him. Paul wakes up stands up and walks right back into the city to finish giving people the good news of Jesus. Most everybody else would probably have quit at this point, right? Or at least been like, God, vacation day, like Bermuda sounds wonderful, just a month, right? I'll be right back to it, not for Paul. And here's what this points to for us. It's a persistence for the mission of God to save people. As we look at Paul's life, he did everything, he endured everything, he went everywhere, he talked to everyone so that people could know the love of God through Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says that he does everything that he might see someone saved. You remember, like a month ago or whatever, when we had Mitchell Carlson up here, our first missionary that we were able to send to the other end of the world? Like Mitchell. Guys, I want you to know, like, he wasn't taking, like, a vacation. He wasn't like, you know where I really want to go? I want to go to East Asia, and I really want to go over there for a couple years and just tell people. No, he wasn't, like, he got his life interrupted by God, and he had his yes on the table because he had this persistence for the mission of God, and God showed up and said, I want you to go to East Asia, and I want you to tell the millions of people over there that have never heard the gospel, tell them about Jesus. In Mitchell, like a spirit-filled person says, he just said, God, anything, anytime, anywhere, and he went. Because this is what we're talking about with relentless persistence. We, we go for the sake of someone meeting Jesus. Right, we have this Salt Company Conference, and it was awesome to be there with you guys. Some of Our college students already are like hearing about these church plants that are going out in the next couple years, and they're saying yes. They're putting their yes on the table and saying, God, like, this doesn't kind of fit with my, my job and like, what I'm looking for, but anything, anytime, anywhere, I'll go. And it's awesome. You guys are getting the persistence that the gospel demands. Some of us, when we plant our first church in the next couple years, some of you are going to go. You're gonna leave everything. You're gonna sell your house. You're gonna find a new job and you're gonna go to a new place to start a church and people are gonna think you're crazy and you're gonna say, no, I'm persistent. It's all for the mission of God and his glory. And we go. Docs, I pray that we continue to experience the grace and the love of God in such a way that we would have this posture. Because the goal of our lives is, is not to climb the corporate ladder It's not to make a bunch of money. It's not to be comfortable and retire on the beach. The goal of our lives is to be be persistent in our pursuit of Jesus and people so that we can share in eternity with as many people as possible. Because there's people, do you know this? There's people out there in our city that don't know Jesus that we come in here and we kind of take it for granted. We have our hands up, we're, we're worshiping, we're clapping, we're saying hallelujah, we're doing this corporate confession and prayer and like talking about the hope and the grace of God. And it's amazing because it's true, but we forget sometimes that there are people out there that have never heard of Jesus and never heard the good news of the gospel. 15 years ago, I walked through my entire life, I'd never heard the gospel, never. I've never had the opportunity to be in a bliss place and, and worship God and, and thank God and to, to celebrate because there was nothing for me to really celebrate. And then there was a man of God named Andy who was persistent with his love for God and his persistent with his love for me. And he went to me over the course of four years and he would not stop. He was like a loving pit bull that just kind of grabbed me by the neck that I couldn't shake loose and he kept telling me the gospel of Jesus in a persistent, loving, boldly way that eventually it sank into my heart and God totally redirected my life. Guys, I would not be here if it wasn't for a persistent man of God. There are people out there that will never come to a place like this and experience what you've experienced if you are not persistent with the gospel. Number five, got to move. Self-care selfless care, not self-care. That seems weird. You're like, this just took a, a radical shift, right? Selfless care. Look back to verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders From them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Guys, after Paul went from place to place, helping people meet Jesus, being chased out of those cities, almost being killed, he finishes his his missionary journey. He's on his way back home and he goes right back to those very cities that he almost got killed in. And as he goes back, he's modeling selfless care for people. That Paul didn't just try and convert people he truly cared for people. You remember his words in First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 2, he's talking about his ministry and the way that he went about ministry. And he said that I came to you like a nursing mother, that type of love. It's selfless love that if you know nursing mothers, right, they give of their body, they give of their time, they give of their emotions, like they give of everything. Paul is saying this is the way that I did ministry. I cared for people in this way, a selfless Way. And we shouldn't be surprised by this because Paul is simply just doing what Jesus did. And once again, guys, I, I love that we, we see this in the, in the life of Doxa, right? We're, we're seeing people just being selfless and you're going out of your way to give people rides, to fix cars, to give of your money, to, to go pick up, like you're doing things. And I just had a conversation with a guy other day and he doesn't understand like it was it was a good conversation but I was I was talking to him he was just like I don't know why you're meeting with me like why and I was like bro I, I just God loves you I love you and he was like I'm just gonna say bs to that I don't believe it and I was like man I don't know what to tell you like until you experience the love of God you're never gonna know why I care for you but there's people in your lives that don't understand why you're caring for them Why are you like that? Your job is to not be prideful. Your job is to be humbly bold and point to Jesus. Say it's all about Him. And finally, number six, we aspire to have, just like Paul and Barnabas, a finish line focus. Verse 24. When they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. I'll tell you, I don't know what that word is. And then they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God and circled this part and for the work they had fulfilled. This this chapter wraps up with something incredible. This was only stage one in Paul's lifelong ministry, the end of his first missionary journey. There's going to be two two more, but this is like the first one that he's finishing up. It was clearly defined. He'd been commissioned out from Antioch to go do it. And then verse 26 says he completed it. And so he's headed home and he's telling all of his buddies the task is done. Now guys, I'll say this that this is a great thing to be able to say. Right that many Christians have started out in something in some type of work but haven't finished it. Many have been commissioned and given a task to do but because of the hardship, because of the persecution, because of the difficulties you kind of just throw in the towel and say this is too tough. I'm suffering too much. I quit. But I want you to hear this guys. The victory is not to those who start, but those who finish. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 10, that he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Paul did it. Not only here, but his entire life, guys. He came to the end of his life, and he was able to write to Timothy, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Paul runs through the finish line of his life, and as he reaches that finish line, he crosses over, into glory. Guys, we have the race before us. And if you want to know something true about yourself, if you're not dead, God not, God's not done using you. That He has a glorious purpose for your life to use you in a great way for the good of this world and the good of the people around you. And I don't know about you, but I want to be leaning in and sprinting through the finish line. You with me? Doctor, so this is what we do. We're going to run. We're going to run the race that God has marked out for us for His glory in the good of our city, in the good of this world. And we're going to lean in before we pass over to glory. So let's keep going. Keep pursuing Jesus. Keep these six things that we're learning from Paul in our focus. And we just get to sit in the passenger seat and watch God do his thing. Now, I'm going to end by saying this. If you're new to Doxa, or maybe some of you are newer to Doxa, new to Christianity, and you're kind of feeling this out, like, what are these people all about? Maybe you're sitting here, you're thinking, okay, like, I get it, Like You guys are, like, trying to be, like, really, really good people, right? And you, you hear these six things, and maybe you have the thought of, like, wow, okay, those are, like, really good, virtuous things. I think I got what this group is all about. They, like, really want to try hard to be good people and, like, kind of move forward, like, social justice things, and they're good people. Here's what I'll tell you. That's not it, because there are no good people. Jesus is the only one that's good. And with all of this stuff, guys, the goal is not to make a great name for Doxa, but it's to make the name of Jesus known in our city and throughout the world. And what we try and do is we try and honor Jesus with all that we are, with our entire lives, because he is the one that's worthy of all that. And as we went through these six things, here's what I want to tell you. And I want to remind you of of today. Guys, it's all about Jesus. Before we even aspire to any of these six things, Jesus did all those for us. We talk about giftedness. Jesus is the greatest gift. Jesus is the one that all gifts come from. That in in the midst of our, our sin and our despair and our striving for longing and meaning and purpose and fulfillment, Jesus gives us himself. He gives us everything. Bold. In the midst of opposition, Jesus was bold. He came to give us the good news that while we are more broken than we can even imagine, we're more loved than we can even fathom. Humble, he exited his throne in heaven and came into the brokenness of humanity, humbling himself even to the point of death on a cross. And because of his humility and his death and his resurrection, we don't have to experience death, but we can have life that Jesus died in our place for our sin, persistent. He endured everything, guys, for us. He bled, he cried, he died for you. Caring. And with love in his eyes, he looks at you even today and says, I love you. I've done everything for you. I've proved it on the cross. If you doubt the care of God, look to the cross of Jesus and you will see that. Finish line focus. Guys, when Jesus died on the cross in his last victory breath, what did he say? It is finished. It's over. Jesus has done it all. And because Jesus is finished, we are not That it's not about you and all the things that you think you can do for God. It's about what Jesus has done for you. And I pray today, Christian, that you would be reminded of this. That you would be strengthened by this and pushed forward by this. That it's all about Jesus. He's the one that saves you. And let that just well up in joy. For those of you who aren't Christians, you're not walking with Jesus, I love that you're here. I just hope that today you realize the love of God and what God has done for you and that today could be the day of salvation for you by coming to Jesus and let him do everything for you and you can stop straining to try and make it to God and just let him bring you into the family. He died for your sin, he rose for your salvation and he's waiting today with open arms for you to come to him so he can just wrap his arms around you and bring you into the family. Let me pray. God, thanks for your word. Thanks for men like Paul and Barnabas and the great example that we get. But most of all, we just thank you, Jesus, that before any of them, before any of us, that you did it all for us. And so even as we, we sing these songs in response, as we take communion, before we open our mouth, before we walk forward, would you just remind us of the good news of Jesus Let that just continue to, to drip. And God, would you just continually remind us of the salvation that we have, how much you love us, how much you've done for us, and let the love of Christ compel us to live like Jesus in the everyday stuff of life for the sake of the world. And Holy Spirit, I pray that the you would save someone today. There's a person here that you love, I know.